Oh my goodness, I'm so excited for this conversation today. I'm joined by the wonderful Morgan, who I met in Africa Brooks Mastermind. And I feel so connected to the wisdom that she shares, her story, and all the beautiful, oh, just the beautiful things that she continues to bring into the world just really hit me on a soul level. And so I'm really excited for all of you listening to be here today. Morgan, I'm so stoked to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. This is such a treat. Yee, I'm so stoked. So before we dive into all the juiciness that we're going to journey through today, I would just love for you to share with everybody a little bit about yourself, your story, and why you do what you do. Oh, man. Well, first of all, that means that I have to know what I'm doing, which maybe I should <laughs> like right off the bat alert people. I have no clue. And the good news is that most most all of us really don't know what we're doing. So um, uh, I... Grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, moved to Oregon after my husband and I got married, and I've lived here for almost 17 years now. I am a mom of three, and I, after um, after my daughter was born, I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years before I dipped my toe into the world of entrepreneurship, and just like as like a hobby, I'm going to try this like decorating thing, and then it turned into this like whole interior design business and like renovations and us and I had a retail store and my husband and I like joined forces he's a general contractor and so we had this like great business and then I was like I don't I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> um for many many reasons and that's I just completely like turned a corner on that and you know closed our store and stopped doing interior design to go back to school and to study um, our, our amazing brains and, and our behaviors and why we do the things that we do. So I'm, I'm just transitioning into this new uncharted territory phase of my life, um, with school and in my personal life with my, my children and as a mother, and it's, it's a big upheaval and big transition time, but really what I love talking about more than anything like on my podcast and over on my socials is how do we use the hard things the challenges that come into our lives how do we use those as a catalyst to gain clarity and to create a life that is so deeply meaningful and aligned to who we are beneath all the layers of the programming and the shoulds and the everybody telling me who I'm supposed to be how do we create a life that really is ours like holy hours mm. it's so beautiful and I feel like that's gonna be such a huge thing that we go into today is this like really beautiful piece around alchemizing hardships to create an extraordinary life and I really appreciate and this is something that we chatted a little bit about briefly I think before we hit record on your podcast was just this piece around giving ourselves permission to like be beginners again and to start over mm -hmm. and like to go through these chapters where it's like, you know, you're on this one path, this one trajectory, and then you change course. And I just think it's so admirable for you to have, you know, created a very successful business and then to have decided, huh, I don't actually want to do this and to change your mind. I think that that is 
so courageous and so inspiring. And I really, I really love that you've just allowed yourself to fucking go for what you want. Like Mm. that is amazing. I will say not without a tremendous amount of fear (laughs) and and a tremendous amount of discomfort. I think that we, we see people who do this, this type of thing where they're, you know, out there and showing who they are or making these big changes or transitions in their life. And you think, man, they've like really got it figured out. And they, Mm -hmm. that must, that seems like they're, they're just like fearless. And the more that I have really paid attention to the patterns and what people have shared about transitions and what I've noticed in my own life is that like that the courage isn't those things don't happen in the absence of fear they happen because we have a a vision for something that is bigger than the fear that would keep us where we are right Mm. so the the fear isn't something that is going to hold us back but it's like okay like I see ahead of me something that is going to be more aligned with what I'm doing now and I can't not do that thing. So even though mm. I am like so freaking scared <laughs> and I don't know what's going to happen and I can only see this one tiny step in front of me, like I I can't not move in that direction. Something is pulling me that way. Which yeah. is so it's so helpful for people to know that you don't have to be like a hundred percent like sure before mm. you take the next step or that you don't have to have any anxiety or fear or you know, an insecurity crop up in yourself in order to make these choices. Like it's just, it's doing that in spite of it because you're, you're doing it in service of something bigger. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's such a huge piece, right? Like I think a lot of people assume that it needs to feel good for it to be right. Mm -hmm. And they'll convince themselves that, oh, if it doesn't feel good, then it's not right. And something that I talk a lot about is these two pieces that I believe are absolutely crucial to creating a beautiful, beautiful life. And that is discomfort and discipline and Hmm. being able to expand your window of tolerance to hold the wide range of sensation that comes with being uncomfortable and saying yes anyways, and simultaneously understanding that self-discipline isn't about what you want right now. It's about what you want the most. And like, are you willing to befriend discomfort and move from that place of what you want the most, regardless of how uncomfortable or how much resistance is there and to like say yes anyways, and to understand that oftentimes when we feel that resistance to what it is that we're doing, it's like, oh, I'm onto something really great here. And having discernment too, to know when you're feeling resistance because something is an absolute big no. And when something is just calling you forward to leave your comfort zone. Hmm. What I appreciate about that so much is that there is like this, um, this sense of that I can feel in my body the difference mm-hmm. between no that comes from fear or insecurity or no, that comes from a capital N knowing inside of me. Mm. And that is, that's a skill that I, I would say I probably have had to develop over the last couple of years, especially that growing up in a, in a belief system that, and many people, many people grow up believing that the full spectrum of the human emotions 
are, are not okay. Like mm-hmm. though it's only okay to feel like the good ones, you know, instead of understanding that the, all of the quote unquote negative ones are teaching us so much and to ignore them is to miss out on a real opportunity to learn more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the development of like, like fine tuning my listening skills, my internal listening skills to see what the difference is between the no's that arise from insecurity and the no's that rise from a deep knowing and alignment with myself. That's a, that's a skill for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you shared that it's a skill because we, I believe at least that we must create opportunity in our life to cultivate that level of awareness within ourselves because at the end of the day like the capacity we have to trust ourselves is going to influence every aspect of our life and so if we don't know how to discern between those two aspects of fear or that deep intuitive knowing because they are they feel very different and i mm-hmm. think that it shows up in every person's body in their own unique way but i know that for me personally like a a no that comes from fear is very heady and very like mm-hmm. anxiety i feel it in my chest and in my throat and it's very mental whereas a no that's like an intuitive no that is an integrity with my values and the truth of of who i am It's more of this like embodied, clear energy that doesn't have so much intense, um, Mm. yeah, like intense fear attached to it. It's just kind of this like clear sensation, this clear knowing. I definitely resonate with that. Like the, the no that, that comes from here is like a, like a frantic Mm -hmm. no, or, you know, it's a very out of peace no, but the deep knowing is like calm and what what i appreciate really a lot about this conversation about knowing knowing what your yes and your no is is that it's not based on the belief that if i am always making choices out of that place of deep knowing that everything is going to go my way mm. <laughs> that like that everything is just going to be perfect then as long as i can make sure that i'm living in alignment nothing bad is ever going to happen. And what, what has been true for me is that being so in tune with that deep knowing makes me understand that I'm going to be okay, regardless of what happens as a result of my choices, that there's, there's so most of my life is not inside of my control, you know, and the, the challenge is to find the things in my life that I do have control over to make those choices in an aligned action way and know that the outcome, whatever it is that I can navigate because I trust myself and because I know how to be okay, even when the really hard shit comes up. Yes. And that piece is so important. And I love that you brought this into the conversation because I believe that there are times when people may have this internal dialogue of, oh, I trusted my intuition and then this bad thing happened. Mm. And what I think is so important is to acknowledge that your human experience is full of peaks and valleys. And even if what you're led to next from that intuitive decision challenges you 
or is a hardship of some kind, it's very likely that that was a part of your path. And whatever you're experiencing is actually in direct support of where it is that you're headed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that I, I really believe that even when I look back on my life, like the times when I've trusted my intuition and like, you know, challenge has arise. When I get to the other side of that challenge, I'm like, oh, thank goodness that happened. Like I, I needed to learn. I needed to mm-hmm. go through that. And so I really appreciate that you brought that here. And I'm really excited to dive a little bit deeper into these pieces around alchemizing hardships into creating an extraordinary life. And I really would love to hear your experience with this being so and in what ways you've seen yourself creating an extraordinary life even from some really challenging hard heartbreaking experiences that you've had Hmm. it looks much different than I thought it would Mm. that what I mentioned before about the living in alignment doesn't mean that then we are exempt from really hard stuff coming up mm-hmm. internally and externally. So the most obvious way that this has shown up in my life was my daughter's uh, diagnosis when she was three and then watching this disease remove her skills over the next 11 years. So she had a rare genetic disorder that was, is kind of dubbed like a childhood Alzheimer's. So mm-hmm. she was three and a half when we got her diagnosis and she, for the most part, developed like a typical toddler, you know, hit all of the milestones and maybe some of them a little bit late, but totally seemingly normal. And then we get this diagnosis that she not only is going to lose all of her skills that she's gained over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years, but also that her life expectancy was mid teens. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, I'll never forget the day that I got the phone call from the geneticist telling me this, this is not a good diagnosis and picking her up from preschool to drive out to the doctor's office to learn more about what the health mucopolysaccharidosis type three a is, you know, (laughs) Um, picking her up from preschool and just looking at my three-year-old and thinking, how, how am I going to do this? Am, am I going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? What is this going to look like? So much fear and worry and all of the, all of the dreams that I had for her, not even like the, the big dreams, but just like the normal stuff that you expect for your child, you know, I expect that she's going to go to school and I expect that she's going to have sleepovers with her friends. And I expect that she's going to get her driver's license. And I expect that she's going to go to college and maybe she'll meet somebody and maybe they'll get married. You know, all of these things that are just like normal life was like, like that's not going to happen or it's not going to happen in the way you think it's going to happen. So that was my first really big introduction into how how do I keep moving forward with this life-changing transition? How do I 
really understand how to, how to deal with this, you know, because it's, again, it's like it, so much of that was outside of my control. So much of it. There was, there's no cure. There's no treatment. It's all symptom management. Okay. I don't have control out of all of, I don't have control over any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I started to ask myself a really important question and it's what do I have control over? Mm. And it, you know, some of it I think was just this like self-protective, like grabbing onto anything that I could control. But some of it is a really profound shift that I think most people, when they, when they really start to ask themselves these questions about what do I want my life to look like? It comes from this place. If I don't get to choose the hand that I'm dealt, I still get to choose how to play the game. So there are some people who, you know, grow up in really dysfunctional families or they grow up with abuse or a history of addiction, or they, you know, you don't get to pick where you're, where you're born. You don't get to pick into what economic system you're born into. You don't get to pick the financial situation of your family. You don't get to pick the religious inclinations of the people around your community. You don't get to pick any of that. And as you get older and you start to realize like how many things, even like my genetics, I'm not in control of those things. I'm not in control that I have brown eyes and brown hair and then I'm five foot six. Like that's all, that's all predetermined by my genetics. So to stop focusing on what I don't have control over, what things I can't change and start to think about, okay, what things do I have control over? And the, and the thing that I kept coming back to was me, that is, that's it. And if I am going to be okay, I have to start doing some of this internal work and I have to start taking care of myself in a new way that I hadn't before. So over the next, you know, 11 years up until her death in the beginning of December of last year, 2022, Mm. I asked myself that question a lot. And Annie was and is my best teacher. For this very thing that she, you know, by all, all intents and purposes, someone could look at her and be like, she is not successful. She doesn't, you know, contribute anything worthwhile to our society. And that's all, you know, true if you think about it like that. But she taught me that those things are, that's all nonsense metrics, you know, that she at her core, Annie, who she is, is worthy and is loved and is lovable and is loving because of who she is underneath all of those things. And so the greatest gift that one of the greatest gifts that she gave me was that I got to know that about myself too, Mm -hmm. that my worth isn't dependent on anything that I can put out in the world, that my worth isn't dependent on if I'm successful or not. It's dependent on me, who I am beneath all of the layers and all of the projections and all of the expectations from other people, like at my core, I am whole. I am worthy. I am loved. I am lovable. I am loving. And I couldn't, I couldn't ask for, I couldn't ask for a better gift than that. That is what alchemy means to me is finding the things that you do get a choice in and making choices from a place of knowing that you are worthy. Mm. Yeah. Wow. 
goosebumps, tears, mm. <laughs> all the things. Thank you so much for sharing that and witnessing you in this expression and seeing your capacity for your humanity and just your ability to hold the duality of loss and lessons and loss and alchemy and being able to like hold that is just I don't even know if there's like a human word hmm. like an English an English word for what that feels like in my body and I mm-hmm. sometimes I do find that sometimes that there aren't words to describe things sometimes hmm. and I I really I really feel like even just in from what you described, there's these really beautiful pieces around connecting to the the deepest part of our essence, even in like the most intense heart-wrenching experiences. And that piece you shared about worthiness is so powerful and so beautiful. And I feel like so many people externalize that piece and they seek it in other people in success and money and and all these external things when in in reality worthiness just is it's a consequence of your aliveness it's a consequence Mm -hmm. of your existence it's it just is it is a part of you it can't be taken or or given it just is and it's so beautiful that your daughter is and was this beautiful mirror into how deep can you go into this self-love and appreciation mm. for who you are under all of the distortion. Mm. <laughs> and that is so, so beautiful, Morgan. And, you know, I'm curious because I, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that are going to listen to your story and, you know, and, 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 and wonder, you know, how, how are you able to hold such a capacity within the full spectrum of this experience? And I'm curious for you, like, what what does that mean to you? And like, what does that look like to you? Because I think that a lot of people were, you know, whatever they've gone through these big things that they've experienced, they, it, it can feel like impossible to mm. feel happy or to feel the duality of, I can be both excited about life and grieving. And like, I'm just mm. curious for you, like, what does that, what does that look like for you? And how has that felt for you? I kind of chuckle when people say, oh my God, you're so strong. Like I am, but it may not be for the reason you think it is. So Mm. when, you know, we have this weird, we have this weird thing in our, in our culture, I think where when we say that to someone and you're so strong, it's, it's because we maybe only see the like, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps as strength and to redefine what strength is to 
I think that I'm strong because I allow myself to feel all the things. That's what makes me strong. It's not, it's not this like stuffing down the, the days that are, you know, full of anger and grief and sadness and loss and yearning in to only be, you know, such a strong person. It's that I, on those days when, when I can't sleep because I'm thinking so much about Annie and I have to go sleep in her bed, that is strength to me because I'm listening to what I need in those moments. I'm listening to myself saying, this feels like too much. How can I, well, and it feels like too much because I can't connect with her in the way that I want to. I can't physically connect with her like I used to. So what can I do in this moment that addresses that yearning in me that doesn't tell myself like, well, too bad. Like she's not here anymore and you can't have that and go to sleep. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's me saying like, it's so normal and so healthy and so good that I want those things still. And so I'm going to find ways to connect with her in the way that I want to. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I, (laughs) I haven't, I haven't been able to strip her bed yet. You know, I haven't been able to wash her last load of laundry because I want to like hang on to that back to her smell, you know? And so I'll go and I'll hold her body pillow and snuggle it and cry. And that to me is like how we, how we alchemize the hard things is we let them be hard and we let ourselves feel how freaking much it sucks to go through this stuff because even the low moments don't last forever. When we ignore them or when we push them down, that's when they last long-term. When we allow ourselves to feel them is when they move through our bodies and that we then, then they're useful and they're, they're a part of us. You know, it's when we say, that's not okay that I feel that, or that can't be a part of me, or I don't want that to be a part of my experience that we end up just like hanging on to it in here. and. It's in those moments where we just allow ourselves to feel like, oh man, this is a really sucks right now. This is so hard right now. And I'm going to let myself feel to the edges of how hard this feels. <sighs> and then there's release. You know, I used to think if I let myself feel sad, I'm going to feel sad forever. And what I have found to be true and what I remind myself a lot of when I'm in those down moments is that this is temporary. That the, how deep and heavy this feels right now is still just temporary. Yes. Oh, just literally everything you shared is, oh, it just like is hitting me right in my heart space. And I love, I love the pieces around like really allowing yourself to feel the depth of what is happening. And I think that that really speaks to having this capacity for our own humanity and like the acknowledgement that Mm -hmm. there is so much that we experience in our human journey that asks that we hold deep self-compassion and to really love ourselves through it all. And, you know, I remember when I started trauma therapy last year my therapist was like you're going to grieve a Mm. lot and you need to let yourself and 
it was frustrating at times to be, to not want to, I don't know. Like, I don't want to feel this. I don't yeah. want to feel this pain right now. But what I've learned, and you spoke to this beautifully, is that in resisting the feeling, it gets bigger and louder. And it, you know, creates like when we don't feel our feelings, they get stored in our body and it creates stress and it creates disease mm-hmm. and it creates so many more problems. And I had a a mushroom therapy session at the beginning of last year. And one of the things that I experienced was um, I was, you know, for those listening, like psychedelic mushrooms, I like went into this part of my, my experience where I was brought into what felt like the belly of every single emotion that I had ever not felt. And it was dark. Like most of my trip was like very vibrant. I was experiencing so much visuals, but this particular part was just everything went black. And I was just in this like dark, dark cave of everything that I had never felt. And I was resisting feeling and resisting feeling. And I just kept resisting. And then the mushrooms were like, stop resisting and just feel. Mm -hmm. And the moment I did, and I just let it consume me, it was like within seconds, I was blasted into this like beautiful, fractally colorful space. Mm. And they were like, see, Rachel, see what happens when you stop resisting feeling and you just let it be. And I feel like it's in these moments, like what you're speaking about, where things are very intense. And when it would be easier to numb out in some way and then when we choose not to and we choose to let ourselves be in the goo Mm. and be in the challenge and to like really love ourselves in that space that we create so much more capacity to feel joy and pleasure in life too Mm. you know and I just I really appreciate just your acknowledgement of how it's not about avoiding. It's not about making yourself wrong. You know, you do what you need to do to feel and to be present with this process. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful. I, I will throw in here too, that sometimes I do avoid it. Sometimes I do yeah. avoid what I'm feeling. Like I'm not, and even consciously, I will choose to avoid it in those moments. Like there is relief that comes with, you know, scrolling on social media instead mm-hmm. of, <laughs> But the, I think the, the difference here is that I will not allow myself to do that long-term. So the, the visual that came up for me, as you were talking about, um, like, uh, resisting or ignoring how we're feeling about things is like this, this idea of a, a little child who, when they're saying what they need and the, the need is not being met, they just get louder and louder and louder and louder until it's like a full-blown tantrum. And the funny thing is, is like, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm a parent. I have two other children that are living still and um, they're a little bit older now, but like when my son was a toddler, like this would happen a lot. And I realized that it's because I was missing the early cues. Right. So it was like, not until he got loud enough that I was like, Whoa, like, okay, yes, I guess you really need attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can do that with ourselves is like, we ignore the really subtle cues that something is, you know, a little bit off or something needs attention or there's a need here that we're not addressing, we're not meeting. And sometimes we just don't pay attention to it until it gets really loud until, you know, we have these like 
outbursts of emotion or we're like, I don't understand like why I'm crying. You know, it's, it maybe it's because like we haven't allowed ourselves to pay attention to those subtle shifts and those subtle cues. And again, I think like some of that is a skill. Some of that is a learning to be introspective and to create space in our, you know, maybe in our daily routine where we are checking in with that part of ourself and saying like, how are you doing? How, what are your needs that you need met today? And mm. how can I love you really well today? Like, what does love require of me today for myself inwardly? And then as that is directed outwardly, but it's, I just, I want to make sure that people know that, God, like, I'm not perfect at this. Like, I'm not even kind of perfect at, at this, you know, and that's where that, that deep self-love and compassion comes in too, where on the times when I'm like, oh man, like I just scrolled on, geez, how long was I on Instagram? Like three hours, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I was only going to be on there for 15 minutes. Like having compassion for myself, even in those times when I'm like, oh, I see there's something that came up that I, in that moment, couldn't feel like I could address or, or deal with or manage. Um, but it is that commitment to not allowing myself to do that long-term. So just mm. checking in with myself and and being okay with the times when I make choices that I know, you know, that I'm not super happy about or that, you know, feel that need in the moment, but aren't really helpful long-term. That's okay. That's okay too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love to bring in that self-compassion when I do catch myself mm. partaking in patterns or habits that I know aren't truly in integrity with like what it is that I need. And, you know, something that was coming through for me in, in this conversation was these pieces around also, and again, there's so much nuance in all of this. It'd be impossible to speak all to it all in this episode, but I also think it's really important even when we're going through really hard times that we still carve out space for our joy. Mm. And I think that that takes a lot of courage to be able to, you know, for example, like in the times when I've gone through really big grieving challenges through loss, you know, it can take so much to pick yourself up and go, okay, I really need to go for a walk. Mm. Oh, I really, you know what? I really, I really do need to like move my body. Oh, you know, I really think that I would really enjoy going out and dancing or seeing my friend because I think that when sometimes what can happen when we go through loss or hardship and we are grieving, there can be like this sneaky belief that you're not a, like you feel guilty Mm-hmm. Like for having pleasure and joy or feeling happy or you laugh and you go, how could I laugh right now? Yes. This thing happened. But we we keep living. You know, our life doesn't stop when things happen. And I think that giving ourselves permission to keep living and to find those pockets mm-hmm. of peace and joy is so important. What I like so much about what you just said, I'm so glad you said that because that was coming up for me as well, is um, the sneaky, the sneaky guilt that says that you shouldn't be feeling glad, which means that the guilt is the lie. The joy is the truth, Mm. right? So that we, I, I mean, I have experienced this a lot over the last decade of like, 
how can I still be happy? Like when I have a daughter that's dying, <laughs> you know, and even in the last couple of months, like, how can I still have joy when this has happened? And sometimes it's this almost like this shaming, like, how dare you, Morgan? How dare you still be happy that you're alive when you've gone through something so difficult? And, you know, I was on a walk uh, maybe a couple of days after Annie died. And I saw someone coming from the opposite direction. And I felt this rising in me of like to reach out and connect with them just in a really simple, like, Hey, good morning, kind of way with a smile on my face. And it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like I need to put on a happy face, even though, you know, this just happened. It, what it felt like in that moment was the choice to be kind. And what I, what I just love so much is that that is, that is where the truth was living in my body was that even in these moments, I can be who I am and I am a kind, connected person. And so I will continue to be that person in spite of, or maybe not even in spite of, but alongside the hard stuff because that is fully me. Mm. And that I don't have to work really hard a lot of times to find the joy. What I have to work at is not tamping down the joy because I feel like I shouldn't be feeling that. So like that guilt and that shame is like such a sneaky, a sneaky little thing. And that is, that's what the lie is that we shouldn't be feeling joy because the, the reality is, is that none of us get out of this, get through this life unscathed, right? Like all of us are going to go through really hard stuff. And if we had the belief that I can't experience joy, I can't allow myself to experience joy and happiness. If I'm also going to go through hard stuff is like, well, you're kind of screwed for the rest of your life then because (laughs) yeah, the hard stuff is coming. And, uh, anyway, so I, what I, I think we talked about this on, on our podcast episode, but the, the, how the heartache increases the capacity for the joy. And I have found this to be so true. Like before delving into and allowing myself to feel the grief and the sadness around Annie's diagnosis and and walking through that with her, I don't, I know that I didn't also feel the heights of this like ecstatic joy in my life for many, many things previous to that. It's like in the exploration and the expansion of my ability to hold space and to feel all the things that I'm feeling also just made the, made the mountains higher, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's like expanding that window of tolerance for discomfort and pain is also just as much about expanding your capacity for the joy and the the safety and the security within yourself. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting. I just had this memory flutter through as you were speaking. So my grandma passed away on New Year's Day uh, about five years ago, and she was like my second mother. And we were very, very Mm. close. And her, her death definitely shook me. And it was right after her funeral, we all went out for dinner. And we're all very, of course, exhausted. And we're just kind of all my whole family, we're all sitting at this table. And just, it was a very flat energy, just lots mm-hmm. of exhaustion. And there was this sign on the wall, there was this restaurant, it had a bunch of different like pictures and words on the wall. And this, the word laugh was on the wall. And I shit you not, the word laugh fell off the wall 
onto somebody's table into their food. <laughs> and I hysterically started laughing. Mm. Hysterically. And I immediately knew that mm. my grandma's energy had created this experience. <laughs> and it was kind of her like shaking us awake, like laugh, mm. celebrate my life. I'm gone now, but I'm here still. And yeah. simultaneously enjoy yourselves, love yourselves, be together, mm. be together and embrace this experience. And, and I feel like that experience for me, because uh, I was, you know, this again was about five years ago and I was at a pretty different ex- time in my life within my own journey and capacity for my emotions. And I remember that just really showing me like, oh, I just spent hours feeling awful. And I just laughed, Mm -hmm. like belly laugh, tears and eyes. And it was just this experience of being like, yeah, like even when things are super heartbreaking, like we can still hold these other parts Mm -hmm. of ourselves and laugh and play and enjoy it and give ourselves permission to my husband said something the other day he he, I can't remember where he heard this might have been in a podcast but someone said instead of saying let's say you you know you had a, a challenging experience in the day instead of saying you had a bad day you can just acknowledge like oh I had a challenging moment today because the whole day wasn't bad and I think sometimes we can have this experience where like let's say like you know we feel really good in the morning and then something happens in the afternoon and then all of a sudden we're like oh like my whole day is ruined. And it's like, but is it though? Like, or can we like maybe feel something else again later? And like, can we just let ourselves be fluid in our human hmm. experience? I love that. That's, that's like the, it's the understanding that even the hardest things are not all hard. That in every circumstance there is, I mean, we've said this multiple times now, but there is both and laughter this is fun to think about that laughter is such a fantastic tool of, um, purging. So, I mean, obviously not like physical purging, but the emotional purge that comes through crying also comes through laughing that there is so much tension and emotion that can be released through laughter, even in the hard things that gives us the same sense of relief and like completion as a big, like sob session. And, um, what a, what a gift to be able to experience that release through like such a, such a wonderfully connecting way and like such a way that feels so good in your body. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I I have uh, many experiences in breath journeys where mm. oftentimes when in a breath journey, you have these big somatic releases and oftentimes, you know, depending on not every time, because every time is different, but you can have moments where there's like a lot of big, big emotions that come up and crying and sounds. And I remember back in December in my, uh, one of my breathwork facilitator retreats, this was the first time it had ever happened in a breath journey, but I was just hysterically Mm. laughing, like so loud, unapologetic, like, and, and it felt so like you, what you just said, it was like, that was it. It was like this purging and it was coming through laughter. And Mm. I was like, wow, what a like like you said like what a fucking gift that yeah. we have expression that our bodies are 
so intuitive and have these natural systems that create an exit ramp for Mm. energy to like flow. And we have this wide range of expression. Like I find that so fascinating and so Mm. beautiful. It's so, so fun to, you know, I did this um, maybe a couple of months ago, uh, this exercise of trying to brainstorm emotions and my list was not very big, you know, and I was like, well, I need to increase my emotional vocabulary where, you know, I, I think I went, it was like Brene Brown's, um, she had a whole list of emotions and I ended up taking notes on those and committed to increasing my vocabulary around emotions. Because then when something comes up where, like you said, where it's like, I had a bad day. No, like you, you maybe, uh, maybe you had moments that were frustrating. You felt frustrated Mm. or I had moments where I felt scrambled or, you know, like being able to insert different emotions through, throughout that day gives like a, a better picture of how the day went. And I think that, that, that is where this element of choice comes into play. It's like, okay, how many of those circumstances did I choose to happen? Maybe, maybe not very many of them. Maybe, you know, people didn't show up or somebody didn't pay their bill or, you know, we had a fight with our spouse or our kid did something, you know, disastrous or whatever that we still get to choice, get to choice, get to choose how to interpret those events and to, uh, we get to choose our perspective on them. Mm. And it's not, it's not a call to, to ignoring how we feel about things, but it's a calling to understand that like, that's where so much of our autonomy lies is in my ability to look at things in a different way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and what you said about increasing your vocabulary, I, I remember, gosh, it's either called the emotions wheel or the feeling wheel, mm. but it's this wheel and it has all of these different words for emotions. And I felt like seeing that was so beautiful to be able to like more accurately articulate like what I was experiencing. And what you said about perspective is huge because something that I have developed in my adult life, particularly in my 20s, and now I'm in my 30s, but particularly like yeah, the latter half of my 20s was this deep connection to being an optimist. Mm. And I think that sometimes people think that, oh, if you're optimistic about life in any situation, well, that's like, it can be like toxic positivity, so to Mm. speak. And sure, like I, again, that probably exists in some way, shape or form in certain circumstances, not from, I don't believe that that's something that I do, but what I feel is optimism for me is even when I'm having Mm. a really fucking hard time or grief arrives or something happens I don't not feel the hard things like we've been talking about I I hold the capacity for my humanity but I also have created an identity where I know that everything is always working out best case scenario and I trust myself I love myself I know that anything that happens is going to create some level of embodied wisdom that's mm-hmm. going to support me and supporting other people in different ways. So like my, my connection with perspective and optimism comes from this embodied sense of trust in life, trust in myself and knowing that I can handle whatever happens. And, mm-hmm. and that is so liberating. And I, 
I, I sometimes, you know, not any of my close friends or anybody that I'm super connected with on a yeah per, super personal level, but every so often I'll meet somebody who has a very like pessimistic perspective. And, and I'm like, I can't imagine, hmm. I can't imagine living. And I mean, I guess I should retract that. I mean, I have lived a life when I was in a very dark place in my teen years where I definitely didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at that point in my life. But as like an adult, I, I, I really struggle with, um, like, I can't imagine living a life where, where that is the default, Hmm. you know? Yeah. The funny thing is though, that, that some people are content with that, Hmm. you know, and, uh, some of, I think some of our work, just everybody's work individually is to allow other people to be exactly who they are, Mm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. And like, it's, it's so hard to do that though, especially this has been my experience of seeing what's available to us to experience and what's a, what types of perspectives and beliefs are available to us to have and to see someone who doesn't have those and to just want to shake them and be like, don't you see like how good it could be for you <laughs> if you can think about these things differently. And that's not our job. You know, our job is to be, to, to go inward and to see the areas where we're not living in alignment, you know, like those people might actually be living in such close alignment with how they're wired and who they're meant to be in the world. Mm. And so it's not for us to, to say my way would be better for you. Yes. And I think that our, our job really is to, to understand what works for us and to share those as an offering for other people to sample if they want to, you know? Uh, but I do, I do firmly believe that many people's lives will improve exponentially when they realize that how they view the world is a choice. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and that, that choice is also, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say that because of the understanding around childhood trauma and actual like physical brain development, how that's impacted Mm. by childhood trauma and how our, our beliefs and our cognition and, you know, our, how the, all the systems work in here and in our bodies is all affected by those early childhood experiences. So, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to this conversation around like free will and there Mm. are, this is, this has been something that's been debated and wrestled with for centuries. And so I'm not even going to like dip my toe in that water (laughs) (laughs) to say like, you know, whether people are not, people do or do not have choice when it comes to how they view the world. But I think it just is like this, again, it's just this call to, to embark on the journey of understanding ourselves Mm -hmm. and to find out what works for us. You know, we can be like little scientists in this world and experimenting with what tools help us to become better at understanding our emotions and better at feeling everything that we feel. 
and that we can share that with other people, not in an attempt to say like, I know what's right for you, but to say, Hey, maybe this would help you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Like I don't have any of my identity attached to whether or not somebody, what works for me works for somebody else, you know? And that's, I think that's really, really important for anybody that's in any kind of people work, you know, as, as therapists or coaches or any, anything like that, where we're encouraging other people to make changes in their lives is to make sure that, that we are more than anything, empowering people to do their own work, that, that we don't want people to rely on somebody else to be the authority on what is right for them and what works for them. Mm. Oh, everything you said. Yes. Fuck yes. And yeah, I, I love that it's this acknowledgement of knowing that our map of the world, our values, our beliefs aren't going to be for every party. Mm. And yeah, I, I really, even like in the statement of like, I can't imagine, like me saying I can't imagine, I suppose a better way of wording that is, well, I can imagine because I have experienced that, but I can't imagine that for myself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see because of the capacity I hold for the nuance of life is that I can see how there are people that feel that way. And I, mm. and I really love what you shared around. And yeah, like it's such a like complex conversation mm. when it comes to free will, because of course there's so much like, there's so many different personal lived experiences that contribute to somebody's individual reality. But I would say, you know, the vast majority, maybe not every single person, but I would say the vast majority of people have the capacity with the right support tools, all the things to shift their perspective mm. and to create what they desire. And I think that when we create space for that radical self-responsibility and that self-leadership and we start to take our power back right like I always remind myself and others like you're not the things that happened to you hmm. they happened and they affect you and some of which are very terrible but you aren't at the core of your essence hmm. like that isn't who you are and we hold an immeasurable amount of capacity to change our identity and to shift our beliefs and to heal and transform on a somatic and subconscious level mm -hmm. and so I think that everything that you shared is just such a testament to being able to really move through life with resiliency and devotion and curiosity and to be able to really allow ourselves to embrace like what it means to be human <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I think like you, I am, I am wired to be a natural optimist, which mm -hmm. I recognize has enabled me to, to view my circumstances differently. And it's kind of like understanding that everybody will come. I think everybody will come to the, the same understanding of choice and purpose at some point in their life. It may not be until 
a transition from the, this life to the next. That, that might be when that happens for them. Mm-hmm. Or it might be when, you know, like for me, when something really profound happens that turns the world upside down, that you wake up to a different understanding of reality. And I, I heard that, I, I can't remember the origin of the story, but I've, I've thought about this metaphor quite a lot of, you know, if, if there was someone that you, that you desperately wanted to wake up <laughs> and you went into their room and you flip the light on and you pull the blanket off and you shake them and you're wake up, you know, that person is not going to be very receptive to what you have to say. <laughs> if however, you just go into the kitchen and you start making coffee and you, you know, got the bacon frying in the pan and there's some good conversation going on and that person starts to gently wake up and they hear like, Oh, something's going on over there that I'm really interested in. Like, Hmm, that smells really good. Like what, what have they got going on over there? And that to me is like such a wonderful metaphor of like how I want to live my life. I don't want to be going through life being like, don't you see how you could alchemize these shitty circumstances to, you know, like whatever. It's not about that because I can't any, I can't ever change anybody's mind. I don't have any power to do that. But my my goal, my calling, my my purpose is to just be in the kitchen enjoying life and having the kinds of conversations that I want to have and eating the food that, you know, that metaphor is breaking down a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying is like yes. I just I want to just live a life that is so fully aligned and so fully alive with who I am that when other people are ready, they may ask me, what are you doing that enables you to embrace all of life in its ups and its downs and its hearts and its good and its joys and its sorrows? What is enabling you to do that? And then that's when I get to have the pleasure of sharing with other people mm. what has worked for me. Like, yes. come on, this is like, this is a, this is a sweet life. This is a good life. And I'm not in any hurry to scramble out of anything anymore. You know, I'm, I'm here for all of it. And that is like such, such a wonderful, calm and peaceful place to be. Yes. Oh, it's so good. I love that metaphor and dropping the urgency and the pressure and being present and that piece that you shared around. Yeah. Like not trying to shake anybody awake. And that's <laughs> something that I love so much. And I oftentimes think about and have said, you know, be the lighthouse, like just be Mm. the lighthouse and like you're shining, you're living, you're doing your thing. And like off into the distance, there'll be all these like beautiful boats and like some of which will like be like, oh, there's this lighthouse and I want to go like be near this lighthouse and other people will like travel along their journey and go elsewhere. But it's like, just be the embodiment of the fullest expression of like who you are and your truth Mm. and your vocation and your purpose and know that that is inevitably going to support somebody personally, Mm. professionally, what have you. And I just think that that is such a gift is to be deeply present. Like you mentioned, not being in a rush to get anywhere, but just like, I'm here for the journey. Mm. I'm here for the ride. And I'm just going to be this beautiful being and share what I want to share and and show up in the ways that I want to show up and be excited about whoever I get to support in the pursuit, Mm. but I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. Yeah. 
Oh. Wow, the, the energy, the energetics of that feels so different. Yes. Even just like, I can feel that in my body, like the, yeah, the feeling of like, I have to make people be like me. <laughs> the releasing of that and being like, I just get to let people be who they are. Yes. Which means that tapping back into that, what I understood, what I understood about Annie at her core, who she is. And that's also for, for true for me that tapping into that truth about myself and that core of who I am is like, eh, what happens happens. What, how people are is how they are. And what they say to me is what they say to me. And that still is like, I'm untouched by that at my core. I mean, there's a lot of things that get triggered and activated and whatever, but at my core, mm. none yeah. of that is dependent on my worth is not dependent on any of that. Yes. Mm. Oh, this conversation has been so good and so beautiful. And it, oh, I just feel so grateful, so grateful. And the last thing that I wanted to ask you, Morgan, was what does being an embodied leader mean to you? Being an embodied leader means to me that I am so clear in myself on my purpose, my values, and my integrity, my commitment to my integrity, that other people feel permission to do that for themselves. So I don't think that true leadership is about making anybody do anything. It's about empowering other people to be exactly who they are. Yes. Oh, so beautiful. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your stories, your work in the world. I'm just so grateful to have had you here and I'd love for you to share where people can find you and I'll make sure to drop all the links in the show notes as well. Yeah, over on Instagram, it's Morgan underscore Motzinger. It's M-O-T and then Singer like, hallelujah. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, MorganMotzinger.com is my website. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, I'm on all the socials, but I like to hang out on Instagram the most. Amazing. And you also have an amazing podcast too. Oh yeah. That thing. <laughs> yeah. The, the PS we expire podcast on Apple, Spotify, and then always video on YouTube as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. And thank you for everybody listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you soon. Bye.